Police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Welcome to Bo Deedle's True Crime Stories. Today I'm here with my old partner, Mike Cervola, retired detective lieutenant. And I think I have one of the most interesting guests that I've had. And uh, you know, when we came on the force, we're, we're the same age anyway. And uh, I always ran into uh, this gentleman when I would be in street crime up in the Bronx. And when you say about action cops, action detectives, I guess he has to come up, if not number one that I've known on the job, is one lucky guy that he's still with us, and he's been through a lot of stuff, and we're going to talk about it today. His name is Ralph Friedman. He's the most decorated detective in from the New York City Police Department. Yes, he has more medals than me, but he truly was one of the most decorated detectives in the New York City Police Department. He's an author of a book, and everybody should get go online. And uh, where can we get this book, Ralph? Amazon. Amazon is called Street Warrior. It's uh, about Ralph Freeman. I recommend it highly. He also has a uh, uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Amazon Prime series. And what's it called, Ralph? Street Justice, the Bronx. Street Justice, the Bronx. You could go on to Amazon. You could download it. Again, a lot of guys talk a lot of crap, but Ralph Freeman was the real deal, and he's got my fullest support. And I'm just happy he's here today, uh, still alive, put it that way. And he was a cop and detective during the most turbulent times in New York City uh, back in the early 70s and early 80s. And the thing, the difference was back then— we would be able to go out and arrest these criminals and put them in jail. And everyone says, times have changed. Yeah, times have changed because the cops can't do anything anymore. And these criminals are being arrested, and they're getting right out. We're going to talk about a lot of things, but it's all about Ralph Friedman, and Mike Cervola knows him for as long as I do also. And really, welcome to our show, and I'm really happy that you came in, and I'm real excited about the interview. Thank you for having me, Bo. Good, yeah. you, good seeing you again, and Mike also. You know, we come from a, a different era. Yeah. A and different era in policing era and in time. And, and you know what? Your movie or your TV series, wow. If it was just 20 years ago, man, it'd be number one. It'd be number one. Who would you want to play you in the series? <laughs> um, Bernie Carrick, who would you want to play you? <laughs> <laughs> I have to give that some thought. But the thing is that the day I think of the way we were cops and detectives is long gone. And today, if you're a cop, you're looked upon as uh, being a bad guy. And, you know, with the advent of what happened in Memphis with these criminals with badges and uniforms on, I mean, even you who watched that video, Mike watched that video, I mean, when you beat a guy for almost a half an hour, hit him in the head with metal rods and, and kicking him in the head, you know, it gets so far, did I ever clock somebody oh yeah and i'm Absolutely. sure you did but it, it's a it's a prolonged thing that there was no justification but let's let's not talk about that let's go into your career when did you come on the force you took that same moron test that i took in 67 
Yes. And they showed you a clock, right? What time is it? Did they show you that clock? No, I don't remember that. Well, I remember it was a page, and they showed you a clock, and it was 2 o'clock on there. And they asked you, was it 2 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 7? I took that same test. I got a 99 on that. 67, I took that test. What did you get on that? Uh, Oh, like 98, 99. It was a walk-in, right? Yep, walk-in, no filing. So talk about it. Come on. Well, I took it in my own. My Did you own. want to be a cop? Never thought about doing, being a cop. Never thought about anybody in no your family. family? Uh, no family, no friends, nothing, no connection. Yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't a bad kid. I was a neighborhood kid. I got a couple of speeding tickets, but I never held it against the police. I, ne- I just never even thought about it. And uh, I didn't want to go to college. And uh, my father got me a job with a moving company, Neptune Worldwide Movers, and I was making great money. You know, I was making four fifty an hour, and that was a lot of money back then. The, the uh, rest of my friends and everyone who got out of high school were making a dollar fifteen an hour. I was making five sixty five as a concrete laborer, and then I became an iron worker for eight dollars an hour on the World Trade Center. But that was a lot of money back then. A lot of money. Five dollars an and hour. You didn't have to work a forty hour week to get overtime. If I did a ten hour day. I already got two hours over. Oh, you didn't have to book. do the forty hour. A lot more no. money than police trainees. Yeah. Were oh making. man! So and now you. But I didn't think about it. But I was out on a Friday night with a couple of friends, and I said, "What are you guys doing tomorrow?" They said, "We're taking the police test." I said, "Are you Who kidding me?" Who wants to be a freaking cop, right? I never. It never crossed my mind. I didn't think about it negatively or positively. Then I said, "You know what? Knock on my door. If I get up, I'll go with you." You know, so I go home. Uh, Went to sleep. They knocked on my door. I got up. And once I took the test, when I left that test, then I thought, you know, this could be a great job for someone with no college. You know, because you didn't, didn't need, need credit. Yeah. No, you didn't no. need anything. They, they said you could become the police commissioner with a high school oh, education. Oh, it's so different today. Well, didn't yeah. Bernie Carrick become the police commissioner without a high I don't yeah. think he, he had a high school. He didn't have a diploma. Yeah. He got his uh, GED? equivalent. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, then I thought about it, and I said, man, I, I always wanted to be a highway cop, you know, because uh, I said, like yeah, that, I, I like, like the leather. Well, you like motorcycles. Well, I didn't, leather and I didn't boots. ride then. I didn't start riding till 70. When I went into the police academy, I actually got hired in 68 as a trainee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was too we young. I did two years, yeah, that's 68 and 70. And actually what they hired me for was fingerprint technician because they passed a law where everyone in New York City had to register long arms. People yeah. were volunteering. Could you imagine today? Mm. They were coming in volunteering. Oh, I have a rifle. I have a shot. Yeah. And we fingerprint them. And I was working out of four four precinct. Yeah. And I did that for six months. And then they invented nine one one. So I went down there, in uh, two forty Center Street. That's where Bo and I met yeah. when we were nineteen years old. Yeah. That's what nine one one. Where's the emergency? And they had that nut, that jerk from the Bronx. Was it Debrino? That nut. Bobby oh, I was friends with. <laughs> he went to the four four later on. <laughs> I was friends with Bobby from Orchard Beach. I beat him in an arm. Eight. He could never yeah. fathom the little guy ripped his arm out of an arm wrestle. He was like six two. Bobby the Big that's, guy. That's some memories. Yeah. yeah. I so, used to have yeah. breakfast with him every morning because he worked in the four four and collared up. Total crazy man. Good. Uh, good cop though. Yeah. Good cop for the times. You know. Yeah. You know, just like me. I don't know how we would be today. You know, a different time. But I did went to nine eleven and uh, he's talking about nine one one, not nine eleven. Right, nine one one, and. Uh, then I went into the police academy in 1970 and uh, became a police officer. And one of the things that we did in the academy was they sent us to Roosevelt Island, or Randall's Island. Randall's. Randall's Island. And we'd stay there three days. But the first day, doing scooter training. 
But if you popped the clutch the first day, you were on the bus. As soon as they filled you up the bus. go around those cones? No, we're going up and down little mountains. Oh. You know? And if you lasted the first day, you had a good chance on the second. If you made the second, you 100% made the third. They collected all our licenses, had us in a classroom, come back a couple hours later and, and gave us motorcycle, motorcycle licenses. Right. That was my original motorcycle license. And then I went license. out and bought a motorcycle right away. Yeah. And I rode for 14 years. Until all right, so what's your first assignment as, as a, a after the training crap? Well, Cop. I went to the 4-1 precinct, mm-hmm. which had a reputation. It was known as Fort Apache. Mm-hmm. It was the South Bronx, real tough air. And I was happy, you know, because I wanted to break in, you know, in an action place. Busy shop. And you yeah. see more action there than if you went to a quiet house yeah. and you worked there like 10 years. You wouldn't yeah. see as much as working in what we call either is, a ghetto house or a shit house or an A house. This is an important question because people ask me about my career and all that and Michael and his career. But your physical shape that you were in, uh, was, did, was in it a tremendous shape. factor in your police career? Without where, a doubt. I mean, it, <clears throat> you had to be... You know, in shape to do the job. You were fighting a lot. There was a lot of fisticuffs, uh, a lot of physical activity, chasing, climbing fences, climbing fire escapes all every yep. day. Or running I mean, up the you, stairs five stories. You couldn't be out of breath and fight with a guy. Every every job was on the top floor. Yeah. And there was no elevator. <laughs> you know, you never got a job on the first floor. But uh, you had to be in shape if you were going to be an active cop. Or you, in, in, in the South Bronx, or I'm sure there were sections in Manhattan, Harlem, Brooklyn. You know, every borough had their area that was uh, an action precinct, and you had to be in shape, even if you weren't a, a heavy-duty collar man, just to make chases. I mean, you couldn't shoot everybody. No, but if you see purse snatches <laughs> yeah. with chasing guys... Robbery. Yeah, did you, all around it was a very on the physical job. Did you use my favorite thing? Today they call it a chokehold. It was a headlock when I was a cop. Of course. You that had was every arrest was a headlock. Get the guy on the ground, right? That's how you take control. How many of, the, of those guys that you locked up, you locked up 2,000, how many of those guys you got in the headlock died in the headlock? Absolutely none. Me neither. You know, and I always defended on the Eric Gardner case. Absolutely. That was a perfectly executed takedown hole. And that's yep. why he wasn't indicted. And he was also, he died of his obesity. I right. talked to the medical examiner, Biden. Pressure, he, he, di- he died of a heart attack from his, his sister was like 26, died of a heart attack. My point is, that, that cop but I stuck up for, yeah. he also said that he didn't want to be collared and he wasn't going, and he put up his hands. What are you supposed to do with a 300-pound perpetrator? Right, and that cop was no bigger than us, and the thing no. was, he, it would have been all right to throw him through that plate glass window and the cop could have got right. killed. But that's another issue there. The point is this, physical strength got you through a lot of stuff, right? And... We were taught that in the academy. We were, you guys know, you're, you're the same yeah. error as me. Go take, go take, go take, <laughs> go You know, you uh, said you win, you win. Yeah. You are the police. You always come out ahead. If he used his fist, you use your nightstick. He uses a stick or a gun or a knife, you use your gun. You come out ahead. It was very physical, and we had physical contact with boxing. If you didn't yeah. hit the guy oh, for absolutely. real, you had to fight the instructor. Yep. yep. I really you know, know they would they would punch really punch you. No, and yeah. I, I don't even think I don't and remember headgear. I don't the, I don't remember headgear. No, they get no. Put I don't head, remember headgear. I don't no, they, remember. They gave us headgear. Oh, I don't yeah. remember. You were, you were with probably the gay group, uh, Mike. <laughs> I, I, we didn't have headgear, but go I don't ahead. think you could say that today. Oh, we can we can't say that. <laughs> I don't think. so. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Politically incorrect. Okay. You know, I'm trying to curb myself. But now let's get let's get into. Ralph no, Freeman. it was very masculine job. It was very physical, very masculine. And 
You couldn't show weakness. You know, like today, if you have problems, which I agree with, you know, you should seek help before you take a drastic action like police suicide because mm. we have access to a weapon. But um, you couldn't show that kind of stuff in those years. You had to yeah. eat everything up. If, if they knew anything bothered you, like, you know, like uh, my wife was once thinking of becoming a cop, and I, she passed and everything. I had to turn it down three times. And she, she's in great shape. She goes to the gym all the time, still today. She's much younger than me. But uh, I told her, you know, if someone says you're fat and it bothers you, then you're going to be known as fatty for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, they zero in on that. You know, yeah. cops will... Give you a nickname oh, yeah. if something bothers you. Mm-hmm. You gotta let stuff roll off your back. Oh, like Mike a duck. used to Mike used to wear a wig, and I used to call it a Fred. <laughs> and then when one day we were doing bodyguard, and the freaking thing had turned green, we were bodyguarding some t- towelhead princess. Listen, I'm looking at Mike now. I think he could handle himself. <laughs> I don't think anybody said nothing to Mike. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, let's get to the real meat of it. So when was the first time that you said to yourself, "Well, I can make a difference by being a cop." Well, I enjoyed helping people, and I always, you know, root for the underdog. And I, I, I didn't like to see people be victims. And you know, bullies. Really you didn't bothered. like bullies, right? No, no. I mean, you know, you know, as a cop, you know, or a detective, you see things, the underbelly of, them, of the city that you work in. Yeah. And you know Bo. You handled probably one of the worst <clears throat> cases with that nun case. Uh, the, the things that humans could do to other humans. Mm. And it, it's horrific stuff. And when you see this stuff... You know, you want to be helping the people, you know. Mm-hmm. And these people, you see 20 big guys beat up an 85-year-old woman and stuff like that. You know, it's you got to be want to help them, and you got to feel for them. And then you you had a – it was your thing with the gangs. You dealt with the gangs. Cause oh, we did, yeah, we, we dealt, dealt with, with the, the Savage Skulls, Seven Immortals, all these gangs. We that, had them all in the South Bronx. And, yeah, and, they were all there. And, and all the there. point was – one of my things with my partner Tommy Guard, rest his soul, Tommy Collard, he still to this to the day he died still didn't know what the hell I would do next. I used to actually fist fight with the treasurer, the secretary, the vice president, the president of these gangs, and and have a fist fight with them. Never lock them up, and they throw punches at me, and I throw punches. I said, next time you come and shake this Puerto Rican store owner around, I'm gonna be back. It was like you were doing such a like God's work exactly. to help the people. And you know, I don't know. How it turned around, but they got to be cops turning over in their graves, how the good guys became the bad guys. I mean, I know it's a small amount of people that are very vocal, but the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And these small amount, because most people appreciate the police. You know, and the police do a hell of a job. The men and women of police, they should be thankful that there's men and women that want to be cops today. It's a tough job. We, Hey, when we were on, we only dealt with the bad guys. Yeah, they right. got to deal with politics, politicians. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you, you did know, the wrong, public. what you did oh, wrong. Oh, they, they the body microscope cameras. everything. You know, it's micromanaged, microscoped, and... Let's talk about some of your action. Forget about Mike and I. We're uh, like we're like you all, all has, but but we want to talk to you about. You made more arrests off duty than I've ever. Heard I made of. 105 off arrests. Off How duty in the hell? What'd you do? Ride around in your car just looking for no, stuff? No, but I was always vigilant and observant. And if I saw things, I would take action. Well, what if you were on a date? They were. I had a lot of collars with dates. Some so of them you would were be in duty. your car. The lady would be with you, and what did you do? Run out of the car and toss a guy with a gun? Uh, if I thought he had a gun, yeah. But I'll tell you a funny story. That's an illegal search. <laughs> Not if you saw the bulge. 
you know, they, today it would be hard because everyone's bulge would be like cell phones yeah. and uh, electronic or, or equipment. Or guns today, too. Yeah. yeah. But what happened was, one time, I'll tell you a fast story. I went down. We used to hold evidence in our homes. I always had, like, heroin or guns in my house. And you, they were vouched already. And when you got a chance, you dropped them off at ballistics or, uh, or the lab, yeah. which was in uh, headquarters. I mean, in, uh, the, in the police academy, academy yeah. on the eighth floor. So one day, I was on a Sunday... And I called this girl up, and I tell her, let's take a ride downtown. You know, I got to turn in some guns and stuff that were vouched. So we go down there, and this was a good-looking girl, right? And we get up there, and the detectives were tested the gun, and they were showing off to it. They took out some old guns from the 20s and machine gun, and they, they performed some uh, shooting things into the uh, tank. And then we left there, right? And we're driving up the East River Drive to get back to the Bronx. And it was pouring. And still like today, the East River Drive still floods, right? Yeah. So I get out and I go up First Avenue. And I'm driving up First Avenue. And we get to a light. It's pouring rain. Get to a light. And I hear gunshots. And next thing I know, I'm waiting at the light. And two bodies fall on the hood of my car. Right? Wow. So I get out of my car. And there's one guy shooting a guy on my hood. And the other guy stabbing the guy. So I jump out of the car. I hit one guy. And he drops the, the gun. He, he drops the gun. And the other guy drops the knife. And they both fall down. So now radio cars are responding because people must have called because they heard the shots. Right? One guy dies at the scene. And another guy dies in the hospital. In those years, we locked up dead people. We didn't just do a... So it was a cross complaint. And it winds up that these two guys have been getting locked up and shooting and stabbing each other for 15 years wow. over the same girl. Wow. <laughs> and now they're That's both love, done. baby. Both so dead. we get That's to the love. hospital, and this wasn't really my girlfriend. So I had to call my brother to come down because I knew the press was coming. And I had to get this girl <laughs> out you of there. Were, you were on a plan B day. <laughs> yeah. Plan B. Plan B so I had to get this girl out of there and uh, then face the press. But uh, that was just one. That was an off-duty double homicide. Yeah, I talked, to, I, I talked to a girl who was out to dinner with you. Many, many years ago. And she said every time I went out to dinner with this guy, he'd get <laughs> up out of the restaurant, he's looking out the window, and he'd run across the you know, street I ate and it chase up. a guy. I ate it up like a kid well, in a candy know, store. That, like that, that's like a story that comes, like, again, I always say good cops are hard workers. That's number one, hard work and be out there. But also a lot of luck comes into play. Luck comes well, into play when you to, have hard work. They used to say I could fall in a pool and get out, come out dry. <laughs> you know, I was very lucky. You know, one of the things I want to point yeah. out, while all this is, while Ralph is doing all this and we did whatever we did, nobody had body armor. There were no bulletproof no. vests. We, we bought our own when the BLA 70s. was around and we followed yeah. police cars. We bought the, the 411 well, wait, 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 wait. What did they teach in the academy? One hand here, yeah, one as hand you shoot, one chest, across your chest, yeah. so the bullets hit a cop right, right in, in his arm. arm. And, and you also told you to take And you crouch right? down, and you wear your backup gun yeah. in your opposite, on yeah, the inside. And you put the right. throwaway gun. Oh, I'm only kidding. In another <laughs> pocket. But the, the reality is, your career is more. Is a lot more about being lucky, off-duty. You actually shot 14 people. You no, killed. no, I was... In 15 shootings, yeah, two of the incidents were with attack dogs, and 13 shootouts with people. I shot eight guys and killed four of them. To me, that's 
a very remarkable thing that you're still here. Now, you also had a partner that almost died, right? Unger? Yeah. What was his name? Cal Unger. That, he just we, died like 30 days please ago. Please tell that story because that's, that's something that yeah. I want the audience to listen. That's a highlight. Ralph Friedman's the real deal. He's not no Fugazi, uh, Wombog. This is the real cop stories of a true New York City hero detective. Go ahead, Ralph. Well, I was in the, assigned to the 41st Precinct Anti-Crime Unit, and so was my this uh, other officer, Cal Unger. And... He wasn't my direct partner, but we were in the same unit. And that day, we both went. We both had court cases, and we get out of court early. Yeah. And you go back to your precinct, and the boss assigns you a partner, or you team up with who's ever available, and you go back on anti-crime patrol. So we get back from court about approximately the same time, and the, the sergeant put us together. And we knew each other. We worked together sometimes as a third-man team before. And like I said, he was in on my unit. So we're out on patrol for about two hours. It was like two in the afternoon. And we get a call. We hear a call over the radio, a burglary in progress. So we're not supposed as anti-crime to go to these jobs because we're supposed to pick up our own. But in a busy house, you would back up the uniform. Back up the uniform, yeah. You back them up. So we picked it up as a backup. It just so happened that we were closer and got there, arrived before the backup team, before the original team. And then you team. tell Central, you know, anti-crime's responding because right. you don't want our guys to shoot Exactly. So we get there first, and we go upstairs. And as the job was, as we were driving there and before we pulled up, it came over a girl screaming for help. So this, like, escalates the job to, like, a burglary where maybe no one's home to possibly a home invasion, you know, a burglary while someone's present. So we went up there, and it was on the top floor, of course. And we get there, and we see the door was broken into. It was a jar about five or six inches, and the, um, the, the, the frame was broke. And we hear the girl screaming. So we proceed into the apartment, and it's, like, two in the afternoon. Noon, and it's pitch black. I mean, pitch black. It had drapes and curtains and blankets on the windows, and it was and pitch you, black. And I'm sure you forgot your flashlight, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did I you know? Because <laughs> I was in the same predicament so many times. You got a light? No, I, I left it in the car. Go ahead. That is common. So we get up there, and we hear the screams, and we proceed into this darkened apartment, and we hear her screaming in the back, and we're like trying to adjust our eyes, and we're really leading our way through the screams. It's like an audio thing at this yeah. point. All of a sudden, we're about, we're in, we go into like a living room, and then it leads into a hallway where you're facing a bathroom, and the bedroom was to the right. We didn't notice at the time, but all of a sudden, the guy jumps out of the bedroom and starts shooting at us from three feet away in a hallway. Wow. Three feet away. Now it's getting lit up, and we start returning fire from three feet away. And the bullets are ricocheting in this hallway. And my partner takes a few hits directly. Right away, he took five hits to the, the torso. Wow. And I see him going down, and he's shooting, and I'm shooting, but I'm counting my shots, even though, because I was taught to do this, and I didn't want to let the last one go. And I shoot him four times, and he still runs into me, and he had no shirt on now, and it's all a strobe effect with bullets ricocheting, and I grab him by the trap, you know, his shoulder to his neck, and I was able to hold his trap, and he still had the gun in his hand, and I got my gun pressed against him, and I fire my last round, killing him right there. Into his heart. Into his heart. But my partner got hit five times direct hits and two ricochets. And one was in the forearm and one was in the back. And they pulled them out with a tweezer. But the others were direct hit. And one of the bullets hit the sack that holds fluid under the heart. Yeah. And he went into. So 
we were, I pick up the radio calling for help, but guys were filling into the apartment immediately because it was a, you know, a radio run to begin Already, with. So yeah. they were running, they were responding. So we just, immediate decision. And it's funny you mentioned a, a friend's name before we went on air, Billy Rath. He was uh, there in my unit also. Yeah. He's a mutual friend of ours. He made a decision right away to pick up Cal. And get him in. Don't uh, wait for the bus. Don't wait oh, yeah. for an ambulance. And he also applied pressure to the wounds. Wow. To try to stem the bleeding. And we get him Could downstairs. Could have saved his life in real life. Well, he did. He did save his life. And with the help of the doctors later, they got him to the hospital, Jacoby. And also Highway Patrol saved, helped us. Because, well, first of all, there were so many radio cars. You guys know at the scene. Yeah, and he couldn't comes. get the radio car yeah, out. Right. So they had to start bumping cars. This was on Fox Street, not a yeah, wide street. Wa- uh, so they started bumping. It was a one-lane yeah. road. So they started bumping cars to wow. get him out of the way. And meanwhile, guys were smart enough to notify Central, and they had Highway Patrol close every intersection. Wow. So it was a straight run. Because even if you got the light and siren yeah, that was kind of you slowed down. Me, yeah. But it was a great hospital to take a... No, no, I would say from the location you right. were at to Jacoby was Well, they ways. made it right away with the highway blocking wow. every road. And then he made medical history taking 72 pints of blood, which is wow. like pouring out of you and being pumped in in three hours. Wow. They had the machine for the, the drama. And they, yeah. and they saved his life. The police commissioner gave awards to those people. And it was Mayor Lindsay at the time gave the awards to doctors and stuff. And he wanted to talk to me because there was going to be a press conference. Yeah. So Lindsay was flown up by aviation with a helicopter, landed on Pelham Parkway, yeah. and came into the hospital. And he was... Legitimately concerned about myself and my partner. Mm-hmm. I got to say that. He really responded like he cared, and he said we did a great job. And then he I basically really wanted to see how my partner was, of course. Yeah. And he wanted to see that I was in a good frame of mind to have a press conference, in which I was. You know, and, uh, you know, I felt really bad and concerned about my partner. Yeah. But I, I also felt good in the fact that I stopped the threat, maybe saved my partner's life and my own. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and pro. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. In every shooting, and even the ones that I had to take a, take a life in the line of duty, I never felt bad about it. I felt actually victorious because, you know, you know, everyone looks at him. Oh, he didn't get you. you. Could have Me been you. or my partner or a civilian. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other side of the coin of taking a life is saving a life. If you're justified, that means you're saving someone's right. life, a civilian, your partner, or your own. So that's the other side of the wow. coin. You know, you know what, Ralph? I just want the listening audience to, to hear this and listen to what i got to say. This is not TV, movie bullshit. Real this life. is real life from a real detective that his life was in jeopardy many, many times. And I'm so proud that you're here to talk about it. And it's just a shame with the advent of what's going on, the negativity of, uh, against the negativity police. Is- a guy like you is look, looked upon, and myself and Mike, we're looked upon as old uh, old, yellow, old yellow, like dinosaurs that they don't want our kind of copying. 
out there. I talked to the I talked to the mayor two weeks ago. I had dinner with him uh, two week, two and a half weeks ago, and I'm telling him stories about some of the big cases. His brother was a retired sergeant, yeah, and right. Pearson's I think was an inspector, and I was talking to him about how these cases came about. Me battling with the Hayes brothers, Nicky Bond's bodyguards. They killed the Mount Vernon cop that time, and I was talking these stories, and we're like. Really, really, these are stories that people have to hear. But today, <laughs> you would be looked upon as a pariah, not a hero. Right, yeah, I, I agree. And one of the things that I recall vividly um, about a week or two, first of all, back in our day, after you shot somebody, you didn't go see... Uh, Go to psychiatrists no, and no. get trauma counseling. I remember if you weren't the DA hurt. walked into the captain's office, read me Miranda, <laughs> had the right, uh, had this court stenographer. I had to give a statement like right an hour and a half, two hours yeah. after the shooting, and then I was in front of the grand jury. Exactly. Uh, you know, within two or three weeks, and you know, thank God on on mine they were. They came back as justifiable homicide, That's and I'm correct. sure on yours, That's what I the got. same thing. But you got to go through that whole you know, process. Cops were very yeah. dedicated. Cops, yeah. cops are a special breed. You know, they care. You know, people don't they don't see that. And the people that protest and talk negative, it's a small, small amount of people. But it's the greasy, the uh, squeaky wheel effect. They get the attention. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Most people appreciate the work that police yeah, do. You know, but by and large, the, the citizens yeah, of they New realize York you're there to protect them. You know, we 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 have bad cops in our group too. Like with that kid Volpe putting a nightstick up the guy's Man, butt. Man, you know that was I, I knew his father. That, yeah. I knew his father was, was the, the art expert. Tech. Yeah, and yep. I'm gonna tell you something. I defended. I I really stood up for Volpe because right, I couldn't believe that. And then happened. I'm gonna tell you another yeah. case, a big big case. And Mike was involved with this with me. They had street crime guys. Amelia, or what's his first? Diallo. Up in oh, the Bronx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on now. Say. I was catching crab, then this moron cowboy from New Jersey, 41 shots. What's that? I don't like the guy, uh, that cowboy that sings. What's his name? Uh, that made the song 41 shots. Oh, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen makes yeah. a song. Not knowing. So I would go to gatherings, and people would say to me, Bo, the cop shot this unarmed guy 41 times. So Mike was with me. We got the court transcripts. We got what the each cop, the court four cops were involved. We actually got actors. We went to the actual location, and we showed exactly what happened with the Diallo shooting. When he's and reaching for his wallet in the reenactment. back. The reenactment. And he he yells, done. Now they one cop starts shooting. He falls back. The other cops think he's think shot, he shot, and they unloaded. We took it. And I showed it. Shooting. I showed it to the police commissioner. It was a great train film to let show a terrible tragedy accident that occurred, which it was. But yet, these are things that happen with cops that are terrible accidents, and some of them are real accidents. Some are intentional things, like with with uh, Volpe and that. That and it's Memphis. under. And what happened with these five cops in Memphis? That Volpe thing defied. Logic. I couldn't yeah, believe I mean, it. Yeah, I, I couldn't and, believe but, it. But the point I defended the guy, yeah. and then he admits to it. I couldn't believe no, it. But, you you know, know, Bob that... Volpe, the father, had called me when I was president yeah. of BVA, and uh, he said, Mike, I want you to do the criminal, invest yeah. Uh, yeah. criminal defense investigation. I went into Bo. I said, I don't think we should take this one, and we didn't. No, I mean, look, I it, 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 it. in reality, but, you know, the piranhas, that's what we only call ourselves, the piranhas, because I'm one of them, because I did copying like you did copying. And pariahs. Yeah, pariah means that you're... You're, you're, you're looked down upon. You're a, you're well, a villain. Well, right now... Well, today. 
today. Yeah. That's not back about. then. No, no, I'm talking about today. Today, your stories to me are the greatest stories in the world. Yep. And if people really know what you went through mentally and when you had to deal with this, even taking the lives, I'm sure you didn't go and have a good time and have a drink on the guy dead guy. You thought about it. I'm sure it went through your mind. Well, you were course, getting a bad guy, but yet it's but a life. Boy, but you were supported yeah. by, the, by bosses that knew the job. Right. See, the problem today is there's a lot of politicians no that support. are running the police department. That's correct. When it should be bosses on the job who have the experience, the cops. knowledge, the training. No one who's like out there. Exactly. These people, I'll give you a real example, who made this diaphragm law. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I could there's guarantee no you. There's no way to arrest somebody without touching their diaphragm. Yeah, if he doesn't want to be arrested. blood or air flows. And I can tell you now with certainty that none of those people who had affected that law were ever in a fight for their life. And we're, a we're, fought we're, on the street. We're kind of winding down, but I'm going to tell you something. Not just that. My biggest thing is, and I've already talked to the, to the mayor, we got to show what a headlock is. Show that a headlock doesn't kill anybody. And I, no. I, I mean, you've done it hundreds of times. I've done hundreds it on Michael. Times. My point is, you take that away. I'm a little guy. I had to be 5'8 when I came on. Well, you got a six foot three guy. What do you do? You they grab him you and I take him to the ground. They want you to be a martial artist, or you need four cops, one to grab each arm and each leg. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they think they think they watched the old Adam Twelve crap years oh, ago. Yeah. Shoot him in <laughs> Put, the leg. Yeah, oh no, there's uh, not. There's why not you moron, kill him? There's moron president. Uh, we should start teaching cops to shoot him in the leg. My biggest problem, and we're going to end with this, is with this all this revamping of the police now. The call out to change police regulations is going to get more cops killed. That's what's going to happen. And if they tried to aim for arms and legs, you'd have more stray bullets right. hitting civ- yeah. innocent civilians That's why in the back. That's they train center well, mass, you know, of course. shoot to stop, not to kill, They're never to, to kill. stop. But never to kill. You shoot uh, to stop the threat. I apologize. You know, we, we're well over our little time limit, but I want to wind this thing up. Again, ladies and gentlemen... I can really recommend this book, Street Warrior, by Ralph Freeman. Also, the the, uh, the show on uh, Amazon Prime called Street Justice: The Bronx. Also on Apple TV. Street Justice: The Bronx. I I tell everybody you want to real read about real cops. You buy this book and watch that series. And again, Ralph, I'm just happy that you're here. My, you, you look my pretty healthy. Have me. You look pretty healthy. Thank God, because I've lost and Mike has lost. Too many guys that were around us with physical ailments and yeah, all that. they're dropping and, like flies. And we're still here. And when we talk... And amongst, you guys look good, too. You look good. But when we talk amongst ourselves, you get it, I get it, Mike gets it, and it's something that people can never understand. You've walked the walk, and I love to listen to you, and uh, you're my friend for now until we depart each other. Anything you ever need, Mike and I are always there. And I want to thank you for the service that you did to this city for the NYPD as being one of the most decorated, if the most decorated New York City detective. I appreciate that, Ralph, especially coming from you, Bob. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you very much, especially Mike. Great seeing you again, Ralph. Thank hey, you, Mike. All right.